Welcome to Twice Born Podcasts. My name is Mike Bailey. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your feedback. And if you have any questions, please go to twiceborn.net. You can also find us on social media. I hope that you find this podcast helpful and informative. God bless. All right, we're going to go ahead and look at Romans chapter 11. And we're looking at uh, what is God's plan for the Jewish people or the Hebrew people. So if you have a Bible, you can open it to chapter 11, and we're just going to be going through and reading it and discussing it as we go verse by verse to see what it says to us today. So Romans 1, 1 through 10, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Absolutely not. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or don't you know that scripture says in the passage about Elijah how he pleaded with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to take my life. But what was God's answer to them? I have left 7,000 for myself and who, uh, for myself who have not bowed down to Baal. In the same way, then, there is also a... At the present time, a remnant chosen by grace. Now, if by grace, it is not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it. The rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that cannot see, ears that cannot hear to this day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a pitfall and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs be bent continuously. And so we see here, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, uh, this question of, is God done with Israel? So verses 1 through 10, what stuck out to you? What was something that stuck out to you about verses 1 through 10? Did anything stick out to you? So it asks the question, is God done with Israel, right? And the example that Paul gives is Elijah, and Elijah feels like he's the only one left, right? He says, I'm the only one, and I'm fearful because they're trying to kill me. Was he the only one left? Was Elijah the only one left? No, because what does it say next? That God had maintained a remnant after Elijah was wrong, um, Elijah was wrong because God says that he left 7,000 that were still his, right? So there were at least 7,000 other than Elijah. He just didn't know about them, right? So sometimes we might feel like we're the only ones, right? We're the only ones that believe. We're the only Christians. We're the only ones that, that are following God or being faithful. And yet here... It says God keeps a remnant, and here Elijah thought he was the only one, but there were actually 7,000 other Israelites that were following the Lord at that time, right? So that's helpful. Uh, What do we learn about God's remnant, and what does remnant mean? What does it mean to be the remnant? What does it mean to uh, be part of God's remnant? Okay, does anyone know what the word remnant means? 
Yeah, so remnant is as, as if something still continues to survive, even in the midst of difficult challenges, right? So there was a remnant of those who were still following God, even though the majority had rejected him, right? And so the remnant is the grouping that is still there after um, maybe things have been very difficult or there's lots of people on the other end that seem to be um, walking away from God. What do we learn about grace? What is grace? What is grace? What is grace and mercy? We talk about these two things all the time, right? Mercy is not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting something that we don't deserve, right? So if I get mercy, I get something that I should have gotten punished, but I'm not getting punished. Grace is getting something that I shouldn't have gotten, right? I shouldn't have gotten heaven, but God has made it available to us through Christ. And so God's grace is revealed that he continues to have a remnant uh, for us today. And so grace is available to us. What do we learn about why people do not understand? Why do, why do so many people not really get the idea of there's a God and there's a Jesus, there's an eternity of heaven and hell, that there's actually a spiritual realm? Well, here we see that without the ability, it's as if they're blind and the only thing that will give them sight is the Holy Spirit, right? So God has to give them understanding. And as long as they keep going away from God, he will not give them the ability to see clearly. So they'll think, what, so if you think about it, what do most people think about life? Why do we exist? Why are we here? What is the purpose of life? A lot of people think it's just to experience things, just to have um, fun, right, or to enjoy it. So they live life with that as their main goal. But if you think about it, is that really a good purpose for your life? And why is it not a good purpose if it isn't? Is it a good purpose to live your life just for fun? Why? Okay, but let's take God out of the equation. Is it a worthwhile uh, cause to commit your life to having fun? Yes, because fun is temporary, right? Fun is not eternal. Fun is something that will come to an end. So if you commit your entire life to it, it is a temporary thing. Yes, it has joy, enjoyment. Yes, it'll give pleasure, but it is a very temporary pleasure. It's a very temporary joy, right? And so for us to really understand this is the question of why are we here? What is our purpose? If our purpose, if we haven't really thought that through, maybe because we're blinded, because we're walking away from God into darkness, right? Or maybe we've rejected the truth, and because we've rejected the truth, we have really no true understanding of what life is all about. So we're told here that people reject and they don't understand. We see that Elijah didn't even truly understand because he thought he was the only one left. But what we need to recognize is God is making a promise. What promise is God making? What, is, what promise did he make in this, these 10 verses? He made a promise. What is this promise? I'll give you the answer. The answer is that he would keep a remnant. He would keep someone that would be a follower no matter what happened, right? There were people that thought the Christianity, there was a man named Voltaire. He was an atheist. He hated Christianity. And he thought that Christianity would die out in his lifetime, that no one would believe in, in the Bible, no one would believe in Christianity by the time he died, okay? Do you know what happened to his house after he died? Do you know what happened to his house after he died? 
a, no, a, a Bible publisher bought his house and they started producing Bibles from his house. Like they had a printing press and made Bibles out of his house, right? So who was right? God was right. God, God's remnant, no matter what the world does, no matter what happens, it cannot destroy Christianity, cannot destroy Christ's followers. There will always be someone seeking God and seeking Christ. There will always be a remnant. There will never be a time when the earth is completely wiped clean of a remnant of someone seeking God. So that's encouraging to know. It's on your worksheet, Romans 11, 1 through 10. Do you have a worksheet? Can we make sure that he gets a worksheet? All right, we're going to continue on to verses 11 through 24. I ask then, have they stumbled so as to fall? Absolutely not. Only on the contrary... By their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now, if their transgressions bring riches for the world, then their, then, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness bring? Now, I am speaking to the Gentiles insofar as I am apostle of the Gentiles, to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry if I might somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them. For if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now if the firstborn, now if the firstborn are holy, so is the whole bunch or batch. But if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now if some of the branches are broken off and you, through a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the root of, of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast that you are better than those branches. But if you do boast, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but beware, because if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you. If you remain in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off, and even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in, because God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from your native wild olive tree, and again nature were grafted you into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? All right, there's a lot there, right? What stuck out to you? What questions do you have? Do not boast. Why? Do not boast about what? Why not? Do not boast about your faith because why? Why should we not boast about our faith? What is Paul teaching here? What is this whole thing about? No? not In a way, yeah. This whole part is about the fact that God is not done with Jews or Israel. And he's saying, look... Israel turned their back on God. The Jews turned their back on God when Jesus showed up as the Messiah. They turned their back on the Messiah. 
and they were cut off from the tree that they were initially part of, right? And the Gentiles who did not know the truth, who weren't part of the chosen group, they were grafted in. What does it mean to be grafted in? It means now they are put into the tree that they weren't initially a part of, right? As Gentiles, we were put into a tree that we weren't initially part of. Does that make sense? So Gentiles are part of a tree that started before them that the Jew, many Jews were cut off and they were pruned off and then the Gentiles are grafted in. And Paul is saying, do not brag about being grafted in because the same God that cut off the first can cut you off, right? So don't brag about the fact that you're a believer and you have, you have a relationship with God now and you're part of his kingdom. Only give glory to God that by grace he has given you the opportunity by you humbling yourself and coming to him, right? It's not by anything that we've done. It's by his grace that we're back in this tree. And what it says is at one point, God, through Christ, is going to bring the Jews back into the tree. He's going to regraft them back into the original tree. So Jews will eventually come to the place where they believe Jesus is the Savior. Did you know that? The whole story of the Bible is a story about God and his relationship to his created beings, humans, and how he chose one group, the Shemites, to make a covenant with a guy named Abraham. And through Abraham, a nation was born. And through that nation, a savior was born. And that savior was a savior for anyone, so Gentiles were allowed in. But God's ultimate plan is to bring back Israel so that Jesus can sit at the, the seat of King David. All right? If you don't understand these bigger pictures, it's going to be hard to understand why Scripture is saying what it's saying, okay? So here we see a couple of things. Um, what does it mean that God has kindness? What does God's kindness mean? So you can live in two places. You can live in God's kindness or you can live in God's wrath, right? You can live in God's kindness where he's gracious. And how, how, do you, how do you navigate that? How do you determine whether you're in his kindness or in his wrath? How do you determine that? What's that? Your faith, right? Your fruit will reveal where your faith is, right? And if I humbly say I am a sinner only saved by grace, not of my own works, not about anything about me, but I'm saved because Jesus died on the cross for me. He was buried and rose again. That I have hope when I had no hope, and it's only in God. The Bible says God is attracted to the proud, but he, he attracted to the humble, but he rejects the proud, right? He says, if you're willing to seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I'm knocking at your heart's door. If you open up, I will come in and dwell with you. But for that to happen, you need to be humble and repentant. You cannot be prideful and arrogant. You cannot boast about yourself. You cannot brag about yourself being this wonderful person that God saved. No, he saved a sinner that was lost and that now you're being redeemed. So you're in his kindness. His kindness is merciful and gracious. But his wrath is equally as, as powerful, correct? His wrath will not tolerate things. If you decide that I don't need God, I can walk away from God. How many people live their life as if God doesn't exist? God allows people for a short period of time to live as though he doesn't exist, but there will be a day of judgment. And at that judgment, the wrath of God will be revealed. And those who decided that they no longer wanted, they thought it was 
uh, life was okay without God. They didn't need him. They were self-sustained. They didn't need to pursue him. They didn't need to believe in him. They didn't need to respect him as the author of life. Those people will feel the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is, is just as overwhelming as the kindness of God. Does that make sense? And so God's kindness is shown through his grace. God's wrath is shown through his judgment, right? And God here, Paul is saying, God showed wrath to his chosen people, the Jews, because they were cut off from the tree of life, right? But then he has grafted the Gentiles in. And now he's going to graft the Jews back in again, right? Because he says the fullness is greater than the beginning. He says a really interesting thing. It's kind of wordy, but if you read it, it says that if, if God's wrath was strong when he cut them off, how much greater will his kindness be when he regrafts them in, right? We don't understand right now how great it's going to be that day when the Jewish people come to Christ. That's going to be, and it says, we're going to see here in a minute, he's waiting for the Gentiles to for his work with the Gentiles to be complete. And when that is complete, then the Jews will come to him, and then the fullness of his plan will be complete. Right? All right. So what is he warning us of? What is, what is the warning Paul is giving us here in the, these verses? What is the warning? Yeah, I think his warning is, you're in God's kindness, be careful because his kindness, the reason the Jews lost his kindness is because they turned away from him. So when it says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the fear there isn't necessarily just the fear that God can kill you and send you to hell. The true fear is to be separated from God is hell. Like, to live your life absent of God, to live like God doesn't exist, is actually a hellish existence. It's not hellish in the sense that people think of with fire and pain. It's worse. It's a, you're not living for your absolute purpose. Your purpose is to know God and to live for God and to glorify God. And if you live outside of that purpose, there's a wrath of pain that will come, but it's worse than the pain because it's an, you're being separated from why God put you on this planet. Does that make sense? And so we're made to be in God's kindness, not in his wrath. But we can choose to walk in wrath instead of kindness. And that's a choice that we make that's so important that we recognize. Even, I believe as a believer, it says that God chastens those he loves. And it means you can still live in disobedience even as a believer, and he will chasten you. He will come and discipline you to get you back into the right way of life. If he is your loving father, he will not let you live a life of destruction and sin because he won't tolerate that and he won't, and that he knows that's what's not what's best for you, it's what's worse for you. All right. All right, let's keep going in verse 25 of Romans chapter 11. I do not want you to be ignorant of the mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. That was what I was telling you about. I'm going to read it one more time. So this is so important that we understand this. This is telling us about stuff that hasn't yet happened. This is telling us about the future. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand this. I want you to comprehend this, right? Of the mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardness has come upon the the Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. And so today, the vast majority of Jews still do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. 
on planet Earth today, if you go to Israel, the majority of those who are Jewish would say Jesus is not the Messiah. That is because we are still in that time where the fullness of Gentiles has not been completed yet. Does that make sense? So God is still doing a powerful work in the Gentile nations. Who are the Gentiles? Right? Those are the ancestors of uh, Shem, not Shem, Ham and Japheth. Ham and Japheths, we're part of that. That's Europe, Africa, India, China, uh, all of the world outside of the Shemites, which is the Jewish people, are the Gentiles that God has doing a work right now. When he's completed with that work, then he, it's said that the fullness is going to, when that comes to an end, this is what's going to happen. Has come in, in verse 26, and in this way Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. Zion is what? Jerusalem. Zion was the name that King David gave Jerusalem as the capital when he claimed it as the capital of Israel. Zion. So the deliverer will come from Jerusalem, Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. What is Jacob? What did God change Jacob's name to after they wrestled all night? Israel, right? So we'll return the godlessness away. So today there's a godlessness in Israel, but he's about to turn it away. And this will be the covenant with them. When I take away their sins, regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage, right? Right now, because the Jews didn't, see, here's what's important to understand. Because the Jewish people didn't receive Christ as the Messiah, it allowed for it to spread to us. If the Jews would have said Jesus is the Messiah and they would have held on to it and not allowed it to be spread to the Gentiles, we would have never heard the message. You and I would not have known the gospel of Jesus Christ. But because the Jews had rejected it, now it was able to spread to the globe, and it's, to, it's where, where we have it with us today, all right? And so when it says in verse 28, regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage. But regarding election, they are loved because of the, of the patriarchs. Since God's grace, gracious gift and calling, irrevocable, as you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience. So they too have been, they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they also may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that they may have mercy on all. All right? What stuck out to you there? Why, so what are we told? What is Paul saying why this happened? What is going on? Any ideas? Why, why, are the, why were the Jews hardened? What does it say? Why were they hardened? Yeah, well, and also so that the Gentiles may hear the gospel. The Jews were hardened so that you, so that our ancestors could hear the gospel, right? If, if the, it would have been much more difficult if the Jews would have held it tight and said, this is our Messiah, and we're not going to share him with anybody, right? That you have to be Jewish to be part of this. It had to spread because God made a promise to Abraham that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed, not just his nation, right? And for that to happen... There had to be a rejection from the initial nation of Israel so that it could spread to all other nations. And so Paul is revealing why so many Jews have rejected God as their Savior, or Jesus as their Savior, right? Because there's a time 
where God was focused on reaching the Gentiles. But there is a time yet to come which he will refocus his attention on his chosen people, right? All right. Uh, what does he want us not to be ignorant about? And what are we told about God's plan? That God has a plan to do what? To re... He's, yeah, he's going to... Remember he says, is what's the word, Elijah? Irrevocable. What does that mean? Yeah, so it's a promise he made. It's irrevocable. He, he cannot take his promise back that he made to the chosen people. So he has to come back in some way to reach them, right? All right, and then we finish up with 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable is his judgment and untraceable is ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. All right, what stuck out to you there at that final, those final three verses? Yes. So Paul is dealing with, so as we look at, this is a letter to the Roman church, right? Paul, that didn't, when this was written, there weren't numbers on it, right? It wasn't Romans chapter 11. It was a letter to Rome, to the church in Rome, to the people of Rome, who were living in a place where there was, a hostility towards their faith. They were being put in prison. They were being killed. They were losing their job. They were becoming homeless and hungry and destitute because they were following Jesus. So they were in a difficult situation. Paul is writing them this letter because he yearns to come to Rome. He's heard about what's going on there. He wants to encourage them, but he also wants to deal with their questions because there's a lot of questions that start to arise. One of those questions is, what's going to happen to the Jews? because it seems like a lot of Gentiles are starting to believe, right? And the first church was predominantly Jewish, but it quickly transitioned to becoming predominantly uh, Gentile, right? And so the question was, is God done with the Jews? Is God done with the Jews? And what is Paul's response in his letter that he writes to the Roman church? He says, no, don't be ignorant. The fact of the matter is God had to harden the Jews so the message could be spread to the Gentiles, so that you and I could hear this message. But there is a day in the future where he is going to refocus his attention on his chosen people, and they are going to receive him as their Savior. There is a day in the future when Jesus will be received as Messiah in Israel, and Jesus will sit on the king's throne in David's palace. Right? There's an absolute day in the future where these things are going to happen. You may see them with your eyes. You may experience them in your life. You may see them on television. I don't know how it's all going to work. But I do know the promise that is given here and the promise that's given in Revelation is there is a future date when Jesus will reign in Israel as its Messiah, as its king, and everyone will be in agreement. There will be no one who resists Jesus as Messiah. And so we need to pray for the salvation of Israel. We need to pray for the completion of the work with the Gentiles so that God can then begin his work back with his chosen people, right? And one of the things that we need to recognize 
is that God is using the Gentiles. So what does he say earlier? He says, my prayer is that you would love Jesus so much and that Jesus would impact your life so much that this, these verses would be so true of you. Listen to what it says. The depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, untraceable are his ways. For who knows the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? None of us. He doesn't need a counselor. He is the counselor. And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? None of us has ever, this is where the, the idea of giving to God out of your works means nothing. Your works are nothing to God. He doesn't need anything from anyone, right? He's, self, he's the only self-sustaining entity that there is. And so he doesn't need to be repaid with your good works. He is giving you a gift freely. But he says, from him, through him, and to him are all things, right? He is an ultimate authority. If you believe that, and you live that out in your life, guess what's going to happen? People are going to watch your life, they're going to see who you are, and they're going to be jealous of what you have. Because anyone who seeks anything other than this is seeking lies and deceptions that will lead to death. And so as we look at this, we see that all of us need to live within this truth. All right? All right. Any final thoughts there? Any final thoughts? All right, as we look at the personal questions, have you ever had bad feelings toward Jews? Or know of anyone who has bad feelings towards Jewish people? The early church, actually not the early church, but the uh, Church of the Reformation, which was Martin Luther, there was a lot of people who hated Germans, or they hated the Jews because they were German, and they, were, they had been taught that the Jews were the ones who killed Jesus, Right? And so we call it anti-Semitic. There was a lot of anti-Semitism early in the church. Even in those that were helping to translate the Bible and do the work of the gospel, they still had feelings of bad feelings towards the Jews. Do you think those bad feelings they had toward the Jews came from God or from the enemy? Would God ever give you a bad feeling towards the Jews? No. They're chosen people. Yes, they do things that don't align with him and actually go against his ways, but that's to be to pray of mercy, not a prayer of hatred, right? And so there is no room in the Christian's heart for hatred towards anyone, but especially towards the Jews, right? You cannot hate Jews. You cannot make jokes about Jews. You cannot misuse the Jewish people or their culture or their, you know, uh, to use them in a slang way and still be okay with God. He will not hold, he will, he will not uh, allow that type of approach to his chosen people. Even when they're in rebellion, they're still his chosen people, all right? Are you in God's kindness or his wrath? Are you in God's kindness or wrath? All right, that's a question we ask ourselves personally. Do you trust God with your future? Do you worship God with your life? All right? So it really boils down to every day how you live, is it a commitment to the Lord or is it a commitment to your own flesh, right? Are you living in the kindness of God or are you living in the upcoming wrath? Like he has to be wrathful because there's so many things in your life that aren't based on him. And this is where it's just a submitting yourself in obedience to God daily and saying, God, lead me and provide for me and use me for your work, that your will would be done. This is what Jesus told us to pray, right? Uh, Lord, I pray that, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give me today my daily bread. Forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Repent and confess. That's the first movement every day. Lord, if there's anything in me, please change it. Confess it. I think one of the things we've lost in the Baptist church is confession. Confession is part of being a Christian. Yes, you repent and believe and you're saved, but then you must be, Jesus is doing the work of, um, he's doing, doing the work of redemption, which, and he's transforming your life, which means you need to come to him daily and repent of those things that he doesn't want in your life. So confession is still a big part, right? It's called sanctification. He's sanctifying you. And sanctification works best with confession. Embrace God's kindness. Do you think of God as kind? Or the enemy can get us to think God is judgmental, right? That he's just wanting to come down hard on you. But in reality, he wants the very best for you, and he won't tolerate anything but the very best for you. And so if you know him as a kind, loving God, you'll pursue him. It's like in the books of Narnia, right? To some, Aslan was a lion to be loved and to be approached even though they knew he was dangerous, they still wanted to be near him. Those who hated Aslan and didn't want anything to do with him rejected and went away from him and saw him only as a threat, right? And those are the two views we can have of God. We can know that he's dangerous, but also know that he's loving and compassionate, and he desires for closeness and get closer. (laughs) 